And now from the sunny side of Tecumseh, Susan Schaefer. Well, thank you, Spalding. <laughs> All right. So we've been um, talking a lot through the Lenten season about emotions. And today we are going to be um, focusing on the feeling of loneliness. And of course, with what we've all experienced over the past year, this is a sensitive topic and it needs to be approached with tenderness and respect and compassion. I just want to recognize that our experiences of loneliness, although greatly shared during this time, have also been unique to each person. So I want to invite you to take a minute before we begin to just do a check-in with yourself. Maybe take a nice cleansing breath and sink into your heart space. And if it feels okay, ask yourself about loneliness. How have you experienced loneliness? Where in your body do you feel loneliness? And if it feels safe to do so, imagine pulling up a chair and inviting loneliness to sit with you just for a while as we spend this time together this morning. We've seen loneliness take kind of a spotlight this year in news headlines like COVID-19 has produced an alarming increase in loneliness. Loneliness doubled for older adults in the first months of COVID. The double pandemic of social isolation and COVID. And we know too that Loneliness isn't always about being socially isolated or physically alone. We can feel lonely in a crowd, with a family, in marriages, in our relationships, in faith communities even. And we can also just feel lonely because of our circumstances. We might not feel understood or heard or seen, and that can be very lonely. I'm reminded of several stories in scripture when I think of loneliness. Hagar and Ishmael, Naomi and Ruth, Job with his so-called friends keeping him company, Daniel in the lion's den. And then there's lots of lonely people that Jesus was drawn to and that were drawn to Jesus those with leprosy and other physical conditions that kept them out of their community, the woman at the well, the man from the Gerasene region, the woman who had a seemingly incurable bleeding condition. Today, um, we're going to consider some of Jesus's own experiences and his relationship with loneliness. We read, of course, how large crowds were always finding Jesus following him, spreading news about him. But Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And this encourages me because it suggests to me that we may find some fruit, some blessing in the experience of loneliness. 
After his baptism, Jesus was called into the desert, the wilderness, where the devil, the accuser, confronts him. And he came face to face with the temptations that were probably the ones deepest inside of him. He found comfort with wild animals and angels. And after coming out of that experience, Jesus had a renewed sense of purpose and mission, a clarity of sorts. And this could be a fruit of loneliness and solitude that is available to us as well. It can be hard though to sit long enough with ourselves. Glennon Doyle in her book, Untamed, talks a lot about her process of learning to sit in what she calls the itchiness of our own skin. When we're alone, just with ourselves, it's when our bodies and heart can really be heard because we're quiet enough to listen. And often it's grief and pain and anger and all sorts of itchy feelings that come up. I know with my kids, it's almost always late at night after they've had about five or 10 minutes of solitude, getting ready for sleep. It's then that they want to talk about what hurt them that day or the fears they have for the future or deep questions of meaning that arise out of the solitude because they don't have any way to distract themselves from it then. So Glennon shares that she would practice this by going into a closet and closing the door and gradually she could feel herself sinking lower and lower and lower into her own self, into the knowing she would call it. But we have so many ways of escaping that uncomfortable place. She referenced them as easy buttons. Our phones, our calendars, food and drink, TV, even work and other acceptable forms of busyness just to ha avoid having to discover what might be there if we allow ourselves to sink into it. And this sinking into ourselves is important, not because we need to be independent and always okay with being alone, but it actually helps us choose healthy interdependence with others. Haley Page McGee, who is a codependency recovery coach that I've enjoyed learning from lately says, in order to stop settling for less than we deserve, we must first learn how to befriend solitude and self-soothe through moments of loneliness. Otherwise, we will always settle for less than ideal relationships to avoid the feeling of being alone. So perhaps some of the fruit of solitude and loneliness can also be the ability to love yourself as you love your neighbor not sacrificing the former for the latter. I have a distinct memory that comes up for me when I think about experiencing solitude. And I think it's because it's one of the first times I saw myself um, gaining some sort of um, experience out of it. I was never one to like being alone. I'm somewhat of an ext extrovert and I come from a family um, I'm the youngest of four children, so I never really had much experiences of being alone. But when I was 18 or 19 years old, I had a car ride that helped me to see that perhaps there were gifts to be found in being by myself. I was driving home one summer night on the back roads of Ohio. It was maybe a two hour drive and it was later after dark and I was behind a car going a few miles under the speed limit. 
which just was not acceptable for me. But there weren't a lot of opportunities to pass this car because it was quite a hilly area. Eastern Ohio is much hillier than Western Ohio. And every time I got to a passing area, there would be cars coming the other way, making it impossible to get around this car. And this was before I had a smartphone with an endless number of podcasts and audiobooks to keep me occupied like I do nowadays in those situations. No, I just had a burn CD that I had listened to quite enough times already. <laughs> so I could feel the impatience and the road rage building up after every attempt that failed at passing this car. It was at least four or five times of trying to escape this uncomfortable situation. And then finally, I heard the spirit say, just spend time with me. It's okay to go a little slower. I'm here. So the last song on my CD was actually Canon in D, which was odd for me because I wasn't one to listen to much instrumental music, but my sister used that song in her wedding. So it held a special enough place in my heart to put it on one of my burned CDs. So I just put that on repeat and started praying out loud while I drove. And it was a special time of prayer that felt more like a conversation, not just a monologue. And I had probably maybe an hour left in the drive once I finally stopped resisting and took the Spirit's invitation. Oddly enough, that car in front of me stayed on my path for pretty much the whole drive. It was a situation I didn't choose to be in, but there were apparently a lot of things that I needed to talk to God about. And I remember a feeling of, of closeness and vulnerability and then even a sense of gratitude to that car in front of me, which I saw then as somewhat of an angel as it finally did turn off the path it had been guiding me on for so long that night. So sometimes we find ourselves alone, not by choice, but we can also create time to practice being with ourselves intentionally, helping us develop the muscles of tuning in and allowing us to feel the itchiness of our own skin. Another time we see Jesus seeking some solitude is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks his closest friends to be near, but then he goes off to pray by himself. We find Jesus alone, sweating, crying, asking God to be released from the extremely painful and difficult path that he saw ahead of himself. He knew he had been betrayed. He had been warned that there were plots to kill him. And then... I'm sure he felt even more alone when he returned to find his friends fast asleep. He just wanted his closest friends to bear witness, to at least stand watch and be aware, even if they couldn't completely relate. This reminds me of a Buddhist parable, the story of Kisa Gotami and the mustard seed. Kisa Gotami was the wife of a wealthy man. She married young and gave birth to a son. But soon after, the baby fell sick and died. She refused to believe her son was dead. She went in search of someone, anyone who could bring her child back to life. Her sorrow was so great that many in her village thought she had lost her mind. A village elder took pity on her and said, it's rumored that high up in the mountains, there's a holy man who is so close to the divine, he can even raise the dead. Maybe you need to go search for him. So she goes searching, baby wrapped to her chest and finds a small hut 
after a few days and knocks on the door. An old man opens the door and she says, I don't know if you're the one that they talk about, but my child is dead and I must have him back. I can help, he says, but I need to concoct a potion. And one of the ingredients is a handful of mustard seeds taken from a home that has not been touched by the black sun of suffering that has scorched your life. Find me these and then return. She goes back to the village from house to house, but she cannot find one family that has not been touched by suffering, death, and loss. But as she listens to their stories and is able to share her story with them as well, she gradually comes to terms with the loss of her child and is able to bury him in the earth. When we are able to bear witness to the suffering of others and have opportunities for others to see our pain, we have the courage to walk towards healing, knowing that we are truly not alone. And back to Jesus in Gethsemane, in his time in the garden, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then for all who might believe in him and know him. And our scripture reading today was that third prayer, that we would be one just as Jesus experienced oneness with God. And I've always been taught to interpret this prayer as a call for followers of Jesus to be united together for the church to get it together and be brought to complete unity. And then there would always be some commentary about how unity doesn't have to mean uniformity, but of course in practice, a lot of times it really did one way or another. And that interpretation does have value, but I was able to find another helpful gift in this prayer when I viewed it instead through the lens of loneliness. That when we are one, meaning when we're alone, all by ourselves, that we could experience being one as Jesus experienced it through the mystery of the Trinity, three in one, inviting us into that close and intimate belonging. In Richard Rohr's book, The Divine Dance, I learned a lot about the icon, the hospitality of Abraham, which is also called the Trinity. I'm gonna sh share my screen to show you that icon. Okay, so this is um, an artistic depiction of the story in Genesis 18, where it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham, and Abraham looked up and saw three people standing nearby, and he hurries out to meet them and bows low to the ground, and then he asks if he can wash their feet and give them something to eat. And as they're eating, one of the visitors shares news with Abraham that by the time that time next year, Sarah would give birth to a son. So in this depiction by a Russian painter, Andrei Rublev, he portrays God in the gold, Jesus in the blue, and the Holy Spirit in the green. Green like divine photosynthesis, Rohr says, transforming light into itself. And on the table, you might notice that um, there's a rectangle on the fourth side that's open to the viewer. And art historians say that there was some remaining glue on the original icon 
indicating that there was perhaps once a mirror glued to the front of the table, which is most unusual, but the meaning is really significant that we as the observer are invited in, that there is room at the table for us. Rohr says, this invitation to share at the divine table is a hint of what we might call salvation. And this is what Jesus wants for us. Perhaps the purpose of his words for us that night in the garden, both communally and personally. For I think it would be very difficult to experience oneness on a communal level if the individuals making up that community aren't also invited to experience this oneness on an intimate level as well. So we began our time today pulling up a chair for loneliness to sit with for a time. So let's end at a table we're invited to with a few more seats around it. Our loneliness is welcome to come along with any other feelings and emotions that are accompanying you today. Um, we'll do an imaginative meditation story that invites us into this relationship with the Trinity. So go ahead and find a comfortable position. You can close your eyes if you'd like. And I want you to, I wanna invite you to imagine entering through a door into a wide, bright, open room. There's nothing in the room except for in the center, there's a table. And you can see three hands waving to you excitedly welcoming you to come sit with them. As you take your first steps toward the table, a sense of exposure rises in you. And you realize as you continue closer to the table, your defenses that you usually walk through the world with are falling off. And if you keep going, you know you'll arrive at the table vulnerable, completely seen, and known. Then you look to your left and to your right. And there are doors with exit signs glowing red above them. So there are options to leave if you'd like. But then you look back to the table, to the smiling faces that are so pleased to see you. And you feel completely loved. And now we'll just take a few moments to write the rest of the story for yourself. 
And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Amen.